So why do you save text threads? Sometimes I would screenshot a text and save it to like Google Photos if it was like something I like really cared about. I don't think I've ever saved any texts that I can recall. Oh yeah, I'm a thread deleter. On like the bike ride home from breaking up with someone, I'll delete everything. I definitely hold on to them. I have deleted text threads to get rid of the number because I sometimes am a drunk texter. So like I've sent sad, I miss you, drunk texts to my ex before. Welcome to Why'd You Push That Button, a podcast where Caitlin Tiffany, that's me, and Ashley Carmen. Hello. Talk about the choices technology forces us to make. Today, we're talking about text threads in your phone. Why do you save them? Why do you delete them? In a world with a phone with infinite storage, would you save everything everyone ever said to you? Those are our questions today. Yeah. As Caitlin mentioned, there's obviously a practical aspect to this of storage. Like some people have 16 gigabyte phones. Clearly, that is a lot of space. But at the same time, it's not if you are taking lots of photos and doing God knows what. So anyway... Text can take up space, but there's also this emotional part to saving text, which is that some people like to screenshot. You could, this includes screenshots. Screenshot or save a text just so they can revisit it to remember, in many cases, lost loves. Yeah, so in the case of like a, a former relationship, you probably have lots of texts of that person to the point where you are not going to actively like scroll back to the beginning because it would take far too long. When I broke up with somebody that we're going to interview later in this episode, (laughs) I eventually had to delete the text because there's like three gigabytes of them on my phone. It's like that's literally over like a fifth of my storage space. So that's crazy. I needed to delete it. For people who do save entire threads to revisit I'm like what the hell are y'all talking about every day my exchanges with my boyfriend are like hey I'm home his response cool be there soon well what memories am I trying to preserve (laughs) I mean I don't know maybe I'm just I mean maybe you're just in a well-adjusted healthy relationship I mean also to be fair I'm talking about a relationship that happened like a large part of it was long distance okay long distance is obviously a different story I'm just curious because I have screenshotted texts in the past including from my current boyfriend but Typically, they're very poignant moments where I'm like, oh, like he said this really nice thing that maybe one day I'll want to look back on. Or Mm -hmm. if I'm pissed, I screenshot and send it to a friend and I'm like, look what this fool did. And then we talk about it. (laughs) Look what this fool did. I mean, I'm sure I've sent you like lots of screenshots of Yeah, Caitlin's great. Well, screenshots are so fun when you're dating. What do you mean? When you're going out with new people and you have all of these insane incidents that happen over threads and over dating apps where you're just messaging. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. that that's when things are really fun and spicy. <laughs> spicy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I would save a text only temporarily to like maybe get some outside feedback on it. Like we did this recently where I had to like send you and Lizzie a text and be like, is this text about an actual physical bodily injury or is this text like I don't want to hang out with you anymore? <laughs> Oh man! But yeah, yeah, you guys didn't couldn't decipher that one for me. It was quite puzzling. (laughs) But we came up with this podcast topic a while back when we were first brainstorming just podcast ideas. But since this idea came forward, we have the new iOS 11, which I just want to point out, Apple designed a whole feature around this behavior, which is screenshots and editing screenshots. So now on iOS 11, whenever you take a screenshot, a little pop-up comes up, and it is like a little picture of your screenshot you just took, and you can edit that screenshot. So you can use marker, you can insert different things. I love it because if I screenshot someone on the internet who's doing something dumb, 
and I want to shame them, but at the same time not be totally mean, I can black out their names right from my phone. Oh. It's amazing. So I feel like that was Apple realizing and admitting they recognize that we're screenshotting all the time. We're doing things with those screenshots. We're posting them places. We're saving them. We're doing all sorts of things. And it's giving yeah. they're giving us this feature to make but it easier on us. Thus far, I have declined to download iOS 11. So I wasn't aware of that feature, but that does sound extremely useful. So anyway, we talked to a couple people yeah. who have very different behaviors when it comes to screenshotting and saving texts. Yeah, I would say like the two of us, Ashley and I, exist like somewhere in the middle. And we talked to some people who are like on the polar extremes mm-hmm. of the archiving, carefully sorting, organizing side, and then the delete everything. I don't want to look at anything side. Totally. So I talked to Nicola Fumo, who used to work at Racked, one of the Verge's sister publications. I just assume that everything I say can and will be screenshotted and used against me. So Nicola and I talked about how she and I had this in common, where we both read the same GQ Kim Kardashian profile. She was like, I like to clear out my iMessage inbox every night, like the same as email. And I was like, oh my God, I love that. I just read that and admired Kim, but Nicola read it and actually tried to incorporate this lifestyle into her life. So I started to leading but then when people message you back on your phone you don't see like what they had sent you before but it gives me a lot of peace to see that I've like answered all the emails and now she has a wild system for keeping texts on my laptop I have our entire legacy of conversation like I can scroll back to December of last year if I want to so the laptop has become her way of preserving text threads and the phone has become just the practical vessel for text threads. That's a beautiful system. I really mm-hmm. respect and admire it. Mm-hmm. And I love the ability to search old texts on desktop in Finder, as long as you know exactly what you're looking for, which, let's face it, we all know exactly what we're looking for. So Nicola mentioned that she does sometimes save old text threads from exes. But only if I'm like, you know, masochistically hurting my heart by rereading old texts. I don't know if she cries when she does this, but speaking from experience, I have had moments which are very sad. I don't know if I've cried either, but they're sad when you go back and revisit those X threads. I was just in a thing and I needed to like remember and I really did scroll back to like almost a full year ago and start reading. And then I was like, this is fucking psychotic. I'm typically looking for an address. So I type address into my phone and get like a hundred, but I'm always able to find the one I'm looking for, I should say. Remember when you said you feel like you're aging out of this podcast demo, I feel like this gulf between us is just like widening where you're like, I use my phone for a normal adult behavior, like looking for an address. And I'm like, I use my phone to look up that one joke about the West 4th Street basketball courts that this boy that I went on four dates with said to me eight months ago. I guess I just keep all interactions in the past. Does she save anything that makes her feel happy? Yes, this was my favorite part of the interview is Nicola explained how for her birthday this past year, she got lots of messages from people being very nice, obviously. It's her birthday. And I screenshot all of them and made a folder for myself. So like next time I feel bad about myself or like I need something to pump me up, I can go back to my birthday folder and look at everything nice that everyone said to me. Wow, that's beautiful. Okay, this is like very off subject, but used to have to read books of letters for this internship that I had that sucked so hard. But I was like, dang, nobody writes letters anymore. All of the like main figures of the 21st century, like their letter collections are just going to be like thousands of pages of their iMessages. Yeah, um, I kept as a teenager slash 
between. I kept all of the love notes I received. Oh my God, and I have received them at love home. notes? Yes, I was quite wanted as wow. a child. I don't but... relate to that experience at all. <laughs> <laughs> I looked horrid. So anyone who was into me should maybe assess what they're into. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, th- this goes back to the texters because... Before, obviously, texting was a big thing. People actually did write notes to each other. Maybe kids still do. I don't know. But I did keep the physical notes, and I have them. And I do I do actually revisit those when I come home for the holidays or whatever. Well, speaking of revisiting love notes, <laughs> I interviewed my estranged college boyfriend. Hi. Is, is the audio all right? Estranged? I just saw him at your Halloween party like a month and a half ago. Recently unestranged. Estranged for the last year until like two months ago. I just prefer to talk to people in person, really. I mean, I'm not a huge texter to begin with. Because I remembered that he had like a system for text messages when we were dating that I always found very strange, which was that... I used to be the person who would delete text message conversations right after they were finished. Like as soon as we had talked about whatever we had to talk about, I clearly it out. For everyone in his life, except for me and I think his mom. I wouldn't delete my mom's text messages. Kind of like a way of saying like, this person is important to me, so I have their messages. I'm never going to read them, but like, I have them. And you know, we had a stilted little combo about when we deleted each other's text messages. I don't know if this is weird, but I, I still haven't deleted it. I, I never, I never deleted it actually. But his phone has more storage than mine, probably. My phone is only 16 gigabytes. Mine too. He only has like 10 apps. No, I have 20 apps, period. Okay. Ashley's looking at me like I'm a monster right now. <laughs> I just feel bad for Sean, and I want Sean to know that I appreciate him. I appreciate Sean, too. I guarantee you have too many apps. Boys always have too many apps. I don't think so. I How, how many is too many apps, though? What? <laughs> okay. Anyway, I asked Sean like how he decides what to keep and delete. And he said that. I guess it's kind of harsh, but if someone like doesn't matter as much or, you know, I'm not going to be sending them messages, they kind of get cut. He said that he doesn't like the way that group conversations look. It's just like a list of messages and it's like terribly hard to navigate. So I just like wipe them out. I fucking hate that. Agree. I also delete automatically if you get like those bot texts from like Grubhub or something. Yeah, those are the worst. They just look insane in the middle of your threads with people you actually like and care about. So that part I agreed with, but then he was talking about how he deletes conversations with people and then... Someone will be like, meet me here and I've deleted it and then I'm like, wait, where are we meeting and when? And they go, look up in the conversation, I texted it to you and I'm like, well, I deleted it, sorry. And that's awkward. (laughs) Nicola talked about this too. That's why she has the laptop backup. So Sean needs to consider this because that's how you revisit the party invite. Yeah, I mean, I think in general, Sean just needs to cool it and stop deleting everything immediately. No, I don't know. When there's a lot of clutter, it like stresses me out and I find it like harder to deal with. I mean, you know, I'm an anxious person. Sounds healthy to me. So if you were to look at at Sean's phone, it would be like 10 gigs of text messages from from me and his mom. And I hope he won't be angry at me for saying this on the podcast, but he has his mom saved in his phone as her first and last name instead of mom, which I always thought was really funny. That's strange. Um, (laughs) No offense, Sean. I am on your side and I appreciate you, but that is certainly strange. Yeah. um, It's just mom. Yeah. Mom. Okay. Well, we're going to talk to someone who can relate to texts being sentimental and having meaning beyond just what they say explicitly. A woman named Michelle Janning, she is a professor at Whitman College, she wrote an entire paper 
about this exact topic. Oh my God. I found her through a Google search. That is traditionally how we find people. <laughs> the Google search was love letters, why save? <laughs> okay, well, so she wrote this paper, but she's actually coming out with a book next year that goes off the paper and then expands upon it. So it is called Love Letters, Saving Romance in the Digital Age. Does that not sound like a book that was written for us? Mm-hmm. I'm going to read that on day one. Exactly. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we are talking to Michelle. Hey, it's Tom Warren, senior editor at The Verge here. Microsoft is in an era-defining moment. It's betting on AI as the future of work, its Xbox business is going through transformational changes, and the Mac versus PC war is about to be back on. So I'm launching a newsletter called Notepad. It'll be your inside guide to all those changes and beyond. From details on the next Xbox to that one time every Microsoft employee named Michael appeared on a mysterious email list. Whatever is happening at Microsoft, you'll be able to read about it first in Notepad every Thursday. Go subscribe now at theverge.com forward slash notepad. So we're back and we are here with Michelle Janning, a professor of sociology at Whitman College. She is writing a book about this exact topic. It's insane. I cannot believe she exists in this world. It's incredible for us. <laughs> well, it's amazing to Ashley that anybody has the same questions as we do. We're just <laughs> I know. I just think so I'm so insightful. unique. <laughs> uh, the book she's writing is going to be called Love Letters, Saving Romance in the Digital Age. Hey, Michelle. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So can you tell us a little bit about this book. You've also did a study around this topic. So can you explain to us the book you're writing and what it's about and the work you've been doing in this area? Yeah, absolutely. I was inspired by my own saving of past communications from friends and and boyfriends and others and talking to people who are younger than I am enough to do a survey project where we asked people, this was in 2013, asked people all sorts of questions about their love letters, not necessarily what was in them, but they're what we call curatorial practices, you know, like you curate a, an art exhibit or something, where they put them, whether they save them, how often they look at them, what they're doing when they do look at them, whether digital versus paper saving matters in terms of how people think of their meaningfulness, their connection to past and present identities. So when you're talking about love letters, how are you defining a love letter? Like, <laughs> And are you also thinking about this is also can also be digital, or were you thinking just about paper? It's both. And, you know, I, I use the term love letters in the publications and the discussions like, like what we're having today. But in the, in the data collection portion, we never really used that word. We, we called them romantic communications, and we asked people to define them for however they, they wanted to define them or in, in whatever way made sense to them. We did, however, talk about um, different formats and defining those. So, for example, we, we said paper letters, notes, and cards, even post-its, because you can imagine somebody leaving a little a little love note on a post-it. In the intro of the paper, before you get into the study, you quoted this 2013 paper by Russell Belk. I thought it was super interesting. He basically argued that your digital possessions are almost as important in terms of like attachment and your conception of self as physical mm-hmm. possessions. As far as like the people that we talked to for this episode, a lot of people said like, yeah, I save my texts from past relationships, but it's not 
as if I were going to scroll back to the beginning of a 30,000 text mm-hmm. iMessage thread. So I don't really know why I've saved them. Yeah, I, I think it's safe to say that saving digital and saving physical objects operate differently. But I think it's safe to say that it, that both are likely or possible for people to attach meaning. It just We're still trying to figure out what that means with the digital piece. I mean, you know, in some ways, when I've given talks about this topic, I have different audience members of different generations talk to me about, you know, what seems more fleeting or precarious to store something in a box in a basement or to store something in a cloud. And so the fear of losing something can, I think, help help us understand how people do or do not attach meaning to digital or physical objects. You could you could use the same line of questioning for ebooks and and physical books. There are people for whom an ebook is just as meaningful and perhaps it's meaningful because it's so convenient and they can bring it traveling and it's not heavy and it's easy to download new things and they're reading more or it's easy for their kids, so therefore it's more meaningful. You could also imagine people, bibliophiles, saying, No, the the real book that I hold in my hand is the only the only version of, of books that I think can be truly meaningful. So my job as a sociologist is not to judge either of those, right? But to sort of uncover what it is that might make somebody think that a digital text is or isn't meaningful. But I will say there there might also be something to the, you know, kind of transcending generations, like people feel like texts are fleeting. So they do things to try to preserve them because they don't want to scroll back through 80,000 messages. You know, maybe they, they type in text into a spreadsheet and they I actually know of a person who's done this in New York to feel like they can save it. Or if you're like me, when I first started doing emails in the 1990s, printing them out so that they feel like they're a little bit more concrete. I think the organizational challenge of today is just in the sheer volume of the messages that we get. There's like a super interesting piece in the excerpt of your work that we read where you talk about how it matters, like where people put things that they're saving. I think it's like the heating versus cooling. Could you explain that a little bit? Because I think that's like very relevant. Sure. Well, in this this concept, uh, heating and cooling objects is not my idea. It stems from really wonderful work by scholars who study consumption practices. But the idea is if you have something in your home, most of my research centers on home objects and spaces and family relations. If you have something in your home that you want to get rid of, think about like an old pair of shoes or a coffee table, something where you know you don't want to use it anymore, you don't use it anymore. So you put it in a location to what scholars call cool it, maybe in a basement or a garage if you have that, or in a room that you don't go to very often because you're just not quite ready to get rid of it, you Mm -hmm. know, but you don't use it every time. So the idea is if you cool an object, it's farther away from you, it's less accessible, and therefore, according to some lines of thinking, perhaps less meaningful. So the way we use that in the love letters research is we thought, okay, well, where do you store them? Are they in a place that's accessible, like a nightstand or a dresser top, or are they in a in a box hidden underneath a bed or behind something or in a cabinet? You know, the prepositions in, under, and behind become interesting. And one one way you could interpret it is, you know, the farther away, the more in, under, and behind a box of love letters is or a love letter is, the cooler the letter is, perhaps the less accessible, the less meaningful. And the ones that are accessible are more meaningful. But I think you could also interpret it the other way, which my my next writing is kind of expanding. You could also imagine putting something in, under, behind a box of letters under your bed as actually saying it's more meaningful to you. You know, the the kind of, I'm going to put it away because it's so private 
And it is so important to me that I don't want to have other people see it. And therefore, you could suggest that that kind of cooled location means it's actually more meaningful. So it's a fun way to kind of twist the, the past conceptions of heating and cooling in a new way. So how would that apply then to like to text messages or like digital things? Yeah, the digital ones, that's a harder one to kind of wrap your brain around. The, the putting something in, under, and behind is easier to think about, at least in my mind, if it's actually in a physical room. The digital version of that could be uh, through the use of, of folders and folders within folders. Or perhaps like I have some friends who have a folder on their, on their desktop um, and they label it something that actually isn't what's in there. Let's say they've got some confidential information and they, they put it, they label it something like, you know, dictionaries or, you know, something boring, right? So that if you're, I don't know, like if you, if you, if somebody gets a hold of your laptop and and finds this folder, they're not going to be intrigued because it's not labeled something like love letters or, you know, sexts or something like that. So there could be a masking of it uh, as a way to connote its privacy and hiddenness in a folder with a a fake name uh, that could suggest the same kind of thing that putting a box of letters under a bed in a box might do fun to play with that idea. One of the people we interviewed kept a folder of good birthday wishes she received this past year from all the people who texted her or sent her different things digitally. And she screenshotted them all and kept them in a folder so whenever she's feeling down, she can go and revisit them. And that was interesting to me because I do save some voicemails for my birthday just in case. But Mm -hmm. I, more than that, I save physical cards, like always. I've always saved them. And I wonder if it's also handwriting plays a role because handwriting is everyone has a unique script. And so it's from that person directly, whereas we all have the same exact font on iMessage and it doesn't feel as unique and special in that way, too. Everyone needs to have their own unique font. You know, I love that story because the questions that pop into my mind with that are, well, first of all, does personality matter? I mean, some people just are savers and some are not, right? You have to acknowledge that there's some people, whether it's a digital version or a paper version, are just going to delete or throw things away. They just don't keep things, right? And then the process of the kind of cognitive process of deliberating, should I keep it or save it, might be exactly the same if it's digital or if it's paper, but the locations where they're located differ. So to me, it might be kind of individual idiosyncratic differences. It might be that you, who uh, you save the paper versions and the person you talk to saves screenshots, it might be that the cognitive process of wanting to save these things to feel good at certain times, to remind yourself of well wishes, to be happy about your friends and networks, that process might be exactly the same. You're just saving them in different formats. Mm-hmm. I think the interesting, the brain research and all of that other stuff that gets at the different impact it has, has a lot to do with the frequency with which we get all of these messages, just the editing work that has to go on. Taking a screenshot versus putting a card in a folder, I think, and then deleting 19,000 screenshots or whatever <laughs> is a very different kind of uh, workload. Our other interview, we interviewed my ex-boyfriend and like we, I asked him what he had done with like our iMessage thread from our relationship, which I had deleted, like justifying to myself, like, I don't have room on my phone for this. It's like two gigs or whatever. His phone had the same amount of storage and he hadn't deleted it. And, And I was like, I didn't even feel like remorse doing that. I was like, I'm never gonna read these 
it didn't feel like yeah. anything to me to delete it. But like I would never go into my apartment and like look for all of like I have like books with from him that have inscriptions or like birthday cards or Valentine's mm-hmm. or whatever. I would feel like a monster if I like gathered all that stuff up and threw it out. Like it would feel hmm. like really destructive and like cruel to both like him and myself and like dishonest about like what used to like exist and I know like in your in your study you looked a little bit at like gender differences I don't think like what I just described was typical of what you found but if you could get into Mm -hmm. that a little bit I think that part of the paper Mm -hmm. was super interesting yeah we did well first of all with your story I think thanks for sharing that it it suggests to me that two things one that we seem to have a harder time getting rid of objects because they you know it's, it's actually physically heavy to throw a book away and that feels strange but deleting something that's on your phone is, is these are the swiping processes we do on a daily basis. So we're used to that. I think the, the gender differences emerged not because we had a hypothesis in our survey. We just wondered if there were ways in which men and women operate differently, especially because there's a lot of research on men and women communicating differently. Some of that's exaggerated, but it's there. Uh, differences in men and women um, finding uh, themselves feeling responsible for managing family communication and and portrayal of of the relationship to others and things like that. So we asked questions to men and women the same, and then we looked at differences and similarities. And what we found is that women are more likely than men to just save anything, right? Mementos, uh, souvenirs, photographs, as well as more likely to save um, romantic communications. But among the men, those who did save them, they were more likely than women, um, or I should say they were more uh, frequent viewers of the love letters than women were. So they visited their love letters that they saved more often. And and some of this could be attributed to, and this is again where you can say, oh, we could interpret it this way or that way. On one hand, you could say, getting back to the heated and cooled objects, well, their love letters are more accessible. For men, they are more likely to be on surfaces, you know, desks. Uh, nightstands, dressers. And so they might then come across as more important, more accessible, more meaningful, really falling deep and hard and fast. And men who have them are really interested in in looking at them often and therefore are very attached to that relationship. On the other hand, you could look at it as men putting them on surfaces because they haven't gotten put away yet. (laughs) Um, It sounds kind of like an interesting perhaps cynical approach, but the tidiness, the responsibility of tidiness in a home um, and in domestic uh, environments still falls disproportionately um, on women. And so the idea of putting things away actually becomes something that women are more likely to do. Was there anything else we didn't ask you that you really wanted to discuss or that you feel would be relevant to our conversation? Well, you know, I think the, the story that I like to share when you were talking about love letters having like the art of the love letter and, and people in handwriting, one thing that occurs to me is we, we have defined handwriting as being meaningful and connoting uh, a, uh, taking time and a thoughtfulness and an individualization of a note, right? So if you know it's handwriting from somebody, you feel like it's really that person. They obviously took time to do it, perhaps more time than typing it. Um, what I want to suggest, I want to acknowledge that, and I think it's really normal for people to feel that, and, and my data supports that. But I also want to suggest that there's a meaning that could be attached that individualizes digital messages, too. Um, and, I, and I would say the notion of inside jokes could be relevant. So my husband and I, for example, will text each other when we travel a lot and we travel separately from each other. 
And we don't write handwritten notes to each other. Um, it would actually be quite strange for our relationship. But instead, we'll send text messages that have inside jokes that only he and I know about. And to me, that that's an interesting way to kind of frame, well, how are we defining romance? Are we defining romance by individualization? And if so, there are probably digital ways in which that could happen, regardless of handwriting. And so I think it's important to say to people who are really suspicious of digital communication as kind of giving, giving way to less personalized and problematic um, anti-romantic ways to say, are you sure? Because we're the ones who defined handwriting as being meaningful in the first place. Is it possible to define digital versions of communication that individualizes them? Can we define that as personalizing too? So I'm not as cynical as most people probably about digital communication, obviously. But I think that's because I'm the kind of person who is likely to say we're the ones who decide if it's meaningful or not over time. Yeah, that's really interesting because um, we actually published a feature on The Verge maybe a year or two ago at this point, but it was about someone who had died and his friends had made a bot of him going off of the text messages he had sent. So they basically created software around just his texts and the software was able to recreate the way he typed and the way he spoke through text. So (laughs) although it's not necessarily individualized in the handwriting way, they were able to, I guess the software when you have enough data, it can find those little individual quirks in the way that you type or the way you spell or the way you use punctuation or whatever it is through digital messaging and recreate them as well. Yes, the chatbot lover. I think there you go. There's an app for you. (laughs) Um, No, there there are a lot of historians actually working right now on precisely those kinds of questions about, you know, digitizing archival kinds of materials that used to just be in handwriting, in part because it helps with research and it helps communicate across borders and groups of people. Um, and also in part because there are people who fear that we're not going to be able to read handwriting much longer. That, that's an interesting Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> well, I am very happy you ended on a dystopian note because that's my favorite kind of note to end interviews that's on. That's our transition. We, we love spiral. to leave people with like something about death or <laughs> in this case, the <laughs> human race will be able to read handwriting soon, which is like handwriting. Wow, yeah. wow, wow. Great. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is fantastic. Um, We're so happy to have you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So what did we learn? Well, it just gave me a different way of thinking about our digital items because when she was talking about the heating and cooling and the idea of keeping items further from you or closer to you, I never really have thought about that before. And I'm sure this is obviously not a new idea, but I was thinking about how I have love notes that I They made them all the way from Chicago. (laughs) Yeah. And I keep, but I keep (laughs) it in Chicago. It's really far for me. So when I come home and I have photo albums in Chicago. So when I go home, it's like, it's a really specific mindset. If I want to revisit those, it's far for me. It has no meaning. It's more of like entertainment. Whereas 
here in New York, obviously this isn't writing, but I have photos that I have tacked up on my bookshelf. And it's so interesting because I've actually had that thought process where I've thought, you know, that photo has been up there for a while since I moved. It features someone who I don't really talk to anymore. Like, why is that up there? I'm ready to move it out of my closeness and into the further area. So I was thinking about that with phones and what is close and what's far. And a gallery still feels kind of far to me, but I always have thought about people who set their home background, like their lock screen background, as a picture of their significant other, or Mm -hmm. it could be a text message. It could be anything, something that reminds you of that person. And I've, I've never done that because I think that's kind of insane. And I'm not that kind of person. I don't, I'm not that sentimental. And that's, that's too close. Yeah. That is too close for me. Yeah. So it's really interesting, the idea of space and how we relate to digital objects in space. Well, I think like that was the part of this interview that was actually most useful for me is like just the basic idea of thinking of digital communications as objects rather than just this like ether that we're suspended in. Because then it like makes more sense to me why people were able to say like it makes me sad to delete a huge long text thread, but they weren't able to say why. And I think this would give us the answer as why. as to why because it is an object even if it doesn't have exactly the same significance as something you would physically throw in a trash can it's still like a thing Mm -hmm. that belongs to you and you're throwing it in a trash can yeah I don't know like I don't have that sentimental attachment to texts but I wonder that I I almost want to do this experiment where I print out a text Mm -hmm. that maybe has some kind of love attachment as Michelle would describe it right and if I printed it out and put it somewhere and looked at it, if I would have more attachment to that text. Like, I don't think it's necessarily the idea of the blue bubble and the font that is making me not have the sentimental attachment. I really think it's the physical object for me. Like, it just, in my brain, I need a physical object. Hmm. I also, like, when she was talking about the sacredness of, of letters or whatever, I felt more attached to old school text messages when there was the little icon that was like an envelope and you had to open it. And then it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's there and it's like a black screen with white text. Like, an iMessage feels like so integrated into everything else you're doing on your phone and your desktop. It's not like a separate event. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that matters. Well, that's how we need to get the we couples We have so many app. questions. Anyway, I think Michelle was really awesome. I'm glad we talked to her about it. I, I think she introduced a lot of interesting topics that we don't have answers for. And obviously, we're all working through it together. And it's cool to see someone else at least helping us get farther in our exploration. Mm-hmm. So, Caitlin, do you have a beautiful, profound way to answer why do you save text messages? Oh, man. I mean, I think you summed it up before. It's that they're objects. They feel fleeting. They feel kind of not special because, as Michelle mentioned, we're in information overload. I would say that I am unlikely to ever revisit, like, a handwritten letter from the former relationship person that we talked to because I think it would make me feel weird. But I do often, like, scroll back in my Instagram and, like, look at the photos just to be like, oh, yeah, that was like another phase of my life. Yeah. Like, and that's what she says in the paper is that like your objects from your that you keep from your past, like people revisit them to help them formulate their ideas about who their past self was. And then that helps you by contrast to figure out who your current self is. So they're like important things to have. So if you're deleting all of your texts, you're an idiot like me. <laughs> we're all caterpillars and we're entering our butterfly stages. Oh, my God. All right. So that is the show. I just want to give you guys all a heads up that this we only have two more weeks left. Of so season one. Of season one. Yeah. So start mourning now. I don't want any shocks in two weeks when you don't get the push notification that why'd you push that button is live. But we're going to be back. 
I hope we actually have like really loyal fans or then it's not just people listening to him be like, why did they think that people love them so much? I would like to think you guys will miss (laughs) us a little bit, but it's okay if you don't. That's fine. We're still going to do the show. Yeah, we're just going to give you a a small break uh, to process what we've uncovered about ourselves in the last couple of months. Yeah, we'll we'll be be back back in the springtime when everything is new. And we have another exciting bit of news to share with you all. Caitlin. We decided there should be Why'd You Push That Button merch. As a joke, I said it should be a mouse pad. And (laughs) And someone literally listened and was like, great idea. Yeah, so that's our merch. It's a mouse pad. Do you need a mouse pad (laughs) with our logo on it? If so, you'll be able to order one soon. I specifically said, I don't need a mouse pad. And our head of merch said, you could use it as like a table topper. I think I'm gonna f- I'm gonna get one and, and frame it and just yeah, yeah, you could do that. You could maybe put some foam core behind it and make it like a 3D print oh, of sorts. No, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna get one and I'm gonna sew it onto the back of a jean jacket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. great yep. idea. Mm-hmm. Anyone who decides to craft this mouse pad into maybe you could like make it into a koozie. It's kind of the same material. Oh yeah, yeah. You just like trim it and it's wrap a it, huge koozie. Stitch it. Mm-hmm. Um, what else could you use it for? You could use it to like put underneath like warm casserole dishes. Yes. We'll tweet about it. You'll find it. And speaking of Twitter, I'm on Twitter at Ashley R. Carmen. I'm at K-A-I-T underscore Tiffany. All right. Please reach out to us and let us know if you have thoughts about questions for season two. Yes. We will still be here next week. So we will talk to you then. See ya. Love you. She doesn't. (laughs) 